The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Win number 99 is now in the books for the Royals, moving them within two wins of a world championship as Casey dumps the Giants 3-2 in a completely awesome baseball game. What's up? It's Davo. Glad to be along with you on another edition of Your Dish on Clubhouse Conversation, where this game was just textbook 2014 Royals baseball in a textbook great World Series baseball game. And how fun is it to say that? The Royals are involved in a textbook great World Series baseball game. Pitching, defense, some timely hitting, exciting plays, and just you know, the first six innings, you know, fast moving, nice and quick. Just a fun game to watch as the Royals use the formula they've used so many times this year. They get the lead early, get good starting pitching, play good defense, wrap it up with the back of the bullpen. It honestly felt that easy tonight for KC as they got things going in the top of the first. And how big was that? First pitch of the game before you can even sit down. You're still getting the, the spread in your living room, aren't you? Getting out your wings, your pizza, your vegetable tray, the six-pack, your Dr. Pepper. First pitch, Alcides Escobar nearly goes yard again. Double. Second pitch, Alex Gordon does the job giving himself up, moving the runner over to third by pulling that ball on the ground to first base. And and then Lorenzo Cain and what I thought was a very good at-bat and a very telling at-bat for the night. Because we've seen it so often this year watching the Royals. And it's not just unique to the Royals. You score first or you get some momentum early, obviously. Typically, you're going to win the game. So I'm, I'm not trying to act like that's anything special just for the Royals. But especially the Royals, their offense seems to really catch on. Their, their confidence seems to kind of catch on. They seem to play well when they get things going early. And seeing Lorenzo Cain up in the count 2-0, the 2-0 pitch, Probably he went around to the check swing, but definitely it was worth an appeal. Home plate umpire Jim Reynolds didn't do that. Called strike one. The next pitch was the worst strike call of the night. Obviously low. Even though he was calling the low strike, that was well low. Made the count two and two. Kane not happy. The whole Royals dugout not happy. You had the runner at third, though, with one out. You had to get him in there. So two and two, Lorenzo Kane took a step out. On Velcro, the batting gloves, as he does between every pitch. Velcro, the batting gloves, back up again. Got back in the plate, hit a ground ball to Brandon Crawford, got the run in. one nothing Royals, and they never looked back. I thought that was such a big sequence, that Lorenzo Cain at bat. To me, that and the Eric Hosmer at bat, which we'll talk about later, obviously the two real big key at bats of the game, then the Alex Gordon at bat set that up. But those are the three at bats offensively for the Royals. But I wanted to touch on that one for sure. The Kane at bat might have gotten lost in the shuffle, but I thought that was a huge at bat coming back from some bad calls. And you had a pitch down from a, from a ground ball pitcher. The sinker was working outside of that first pitch to Escobar, which was up, obviously. But And Kane was able to still get the job done there. So I thought that was giant. And then from there, it was just Jeremy Guthrie going to work, becoming the first World Series starter since Jimmy Key. Remember him of the Blue Jays in 1998 to go five-plus innings without a walk or a K. He allowed two runs on four hits to Jeremy Guthrie tonight. Was very good. No runs, or sorry, no walks, no strikeouts, but just two runs on four hits. Those are both technically allowed by Herrera, but of course they go to Jeremy Guthrie. It's not true. One of the two was went to Herrera. The other one was off the the double against Guthrie from pinch hitter Michael Morris, who almost hit the ball to Santa Clarita, <laughs> California, didn't he? Not Santa Clara. Santa Clarita. We're going even further. Anyway, after Guthrie, you know, Herrera comes in, and, and you can say he struggled a bit, and that's true. That's fair. Calvin Herrera does come in with the walk. 
but is able to, you know, him plus Finnegan, Davis, and Holland, four hitless innings with two walks and four strikeouts. Just the two walks by Herrera. That was the only blemish against the Royals' bullpen tonight. Absolutely filthy. We saw great defensive plays by Lorenzo Cain. And in that top of the six, let's get to that. So Jeremy Guthrie grounds out to start the top of the sixth. Alcides Escobar, who's making a dark horse run at World Series MVP in my book, and you could even argue, and there's about nine guys you could argue this about, but you can even argue one of the playoff MVPs, season MVPs for the Royals has been Escobar. The steady play at short, the bat, 31 steals. I mean, we go on and on about him, but he singles with one out, and then the two other big at-bats happen in the game. The Kane one I mentioned earlier, the Alex Gordon double, straightaway center over the head of Gregor Blanco, gets in the run, and then Eric Hosmer, a left-on-left tough matchup against Lopez, 11-pitch at-bat, lines a single up the middle on his 25th birthday for that third run, which put the Royals up 3 nothing at the time, and you didn't want to say it out loud, but you thought to yourself, okay, this one's pretty much over, and it's a good thing they got that third run because they needed it, as obviously San Francisco came right back in the bottom of the sixth and got two of their own. The only minor controversy in this game, and a lot of people were upset on Twitter and the message boards and you know, power line and around town, wherever you went, any watering hole. A lot of people on the top of the seventh. Kelvin Herrera came in to relieve Jeremy Guthrie, obviously, in that bottom of the sixth, as we mentioned. He walked Gregor Blanco, but then did get out of the inning for the Royals, allowing the second round to score, as I mentioned earlier. But he got Joe Panic, Buster Posey, and Pablo Sandoval to ground out in the process. And that's Broadway right there. Panic, Posey, and Sandoval. Everybody except for you know, Hunter Pence. Other than that, it's Broadway right there for Kelvin Herrera. After the walk, he was able to get those three out and restored some order to that inning in the game for the Royals. And so I was okay. You know, honestly, I was okay. Two outs and nobody on. And you've got Gerard Dyson coming up. And I thought to myself, what's Ned going to do here if Dyson gets on? Because I thought to myself, I might actually let Herrera hit here. And he did after Dyson gets the single. But I completely understand. I was okay with Ned doing that just because, yeah, I know Finnegan's been really good. I know, I know you could mix and match him and Frazier in the seventh inning. But here's my thought process on why I was okay with Herrera coming back out. Number one, we've all been clamoring to see Herrera pitch more than one inning all year. You know, give us four, five, six outs. And he's done that a number of times, has Ned and Kelvin in the playoffs. So number one, the majority of the year we've been giving Ned flack. I mean, not the majority, but some of the year. Been giving Ned flack for not using Herrera more than one. So you can't have it both ways. Number two, we had a lead at that point, three to two. Number three, Finnegan, while he's been very good, did struggle his last appearance in the ALCS there in game two. And it's still a rookie on the road in a one-run game in the World Series versus a guy who's been near a sure thing in Herrera. So with all those things combined... And you don't, I don't know, and if the game happens to go extra innings, you'd like to have Frazier later available. Just all those four things combined, I was okay with it. But I completely understand if you thought the Royals should have stolen second with Dyson there and gone to Billy Butler in that situation. Or Nori or Willingham. Obviously not Willingham. Would have been Butler. Would have been Butler. But Butler or Aoki there would have been fine to pinch it, obviously. So I understand that, but I'm okay with Ned in that situation leaving in Herrera. And let's give Ned some credit. I mean, you want to talk about that one thing? Fair enough. I think it's a fair argument either way. Either side is correct. I mean, obviously, Ned's side is correct because it won. But obviously, I think your side could be correct, too, if you're arguing that they should have done that. But Ned, the lineup, great job. I mean, 
you needed more range in that outfield there, especially with two fly ball pitchers like Jeremy Guthrie and Jason Vargas going. I'm sure we'll see the same lineup tomorrow with Dyson in center and Kane and Riot Gordon in the two-hole. I just thought the lineup was really good tonight. I thought the defense was, and we saw Lorenzo Kane, as, as mentioned earlier, make a couple of very good defensive plays in right field. Let's say Norrie doesn't get to one of those. Double? Who knows what happens? It was a one-run game. That's one less out. That's a runner at second base, and who knows you know, what happens to the next hitter, the sequence of pitches. Some of those were with two outs on the plays that, that Kane made. So the defense on its own could have saved this game. Definitely could argue that. We would never know for sure, which is why it's so hard to measure defensive metrics and exactly how much a defensive player saves. It's a lot easier to say a guy gets on base a certain amount, scores a amount of runs, drives in a certain amount of runs. A lot harder when you figure, you know, like going back to the Anaheim series, for example, when Kane makes in that very first game on the road that catch at the fence to, to save a triple. You know, right there he saves the triple, which probably saves a run, but how many more runs would they have gotten without that out? You know, you only get three outs, so taking away one out changes an entire inning. So, you know, maybe he saved one run there. Maybe he saved three or four there. Tonight, same thing. So my point being, it's tough to measure, you know, measure defensive metrics, and I think Ned deserves a lot of credit for making that move, a move that a lot of us thought was good, but to see him do that is great. Putting Alex in the two-hole to see more fastballs worked perfectly, didn't it? Moved the runner to third in the first inning, got that run in. The big double in the sixth that led to two runs in that inning. So Ned Yost... Outside of the Ordonaventura decision in the wildcard game, which I still stand by was awful. But even that worked. He's waving a magic wand. Anything he does works. So, I mean, Ned Yost, big credit to him. The whole postseason, especially tonight. Now, let's talk about game four. Where, where does this put us? Well, about 70% of teams that go up 2-1 win the World Series. Of course, then there was a 10 of the last 11 that lose game one, lose the World Series. So, you, I mean, you, what's the famous line? I think Mark Twain had it. There's facts. What is it? There's there, what is it? How does it go again? There's there's truth, liars, and statisticians. I think there's a stat or the, the, the quote or something like that. <laughs> As then you can basically say any argument you want from any obscure stat. There's stats always for everything that kind of support both sides. So, but I mean, looking at it literally, we're up two to one right now. First of all, who's available tomorrow? Everybody but Herrera. Herrera's unavailable tomorrow, I'm assuming, after pitching quite a bit a couple days ago, nearly 30 pitches tonight. So I'm assuming Frazier and Finnegan are your guys to get you through the 6th and 7th tomorrow. You've got Davis and Holland totally good, and then you've got Duffy in extra innings. So your bullpen is pretty much 100%, minus Herrera tomorrow. Now, what do the Royals need to do to be in good shape? Well, they need to split the next two. I don't even want to say this out loud, but I almost feel like they're going to win the next two. I, just, I don't know. I mean, they could, the thing is, though, they could easily drop the next two guys. So we got to take this game by game. We're not playing, so we can talk a little bit more. I'm just so, I don't know. I, it's just so hard to predict what's going to happen. I felt like during the regular season, I was typically pretty good on predicting series. You know, two out of three, three out of three, split a two out of four. I, I felt pretty good about my predictions on that. But I don't even, I mean, I have no idea. But I, I feel like the Royals need to split the next two. Any of the three scenarios is possible. A split, a sweep either way, all you know, those are all possible scenarios. I feel like there's probably a 75% chance we do see game six in Kansas City, especially with Madison going on Sunday, unless the Giants try to pull a fast one and throw them tomorrow. But it sounds as if Vocal Song will make the start tomorrow. So with that said, the Royals need to split the next two, win the one tomorrow, and then you have a complete gravy game on Sunday. If you go up three to one in this series, okay, you got Bumgarner one more time. But you got Shields going. Shields is due for a good start. 
you win tomorrow, you can easily wrap this thing up in San Francisco. But even if you win tomorrow and lose Sunday, oh, well. We're up 3-2. Now we can win it at home. We have two cracks to win it in front of our home fans. Tomorrow, obviously, the big, big, the, the big, 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 big one. If tonight was the real big one, then tomorrow add about five more bigs. You go up 3-1, to one, looking pretty good. Although, don't tell the 85 Cardinals that. Or the 85 Toronto Blue Jays that in the ALCS. But how does this matchup look tomorrow? I, I like Vargas in that park. Some, some left-handed hitters in that lineup. I like turning Sandoval to the right side, the switch hitter. I, I like Panic and, and Belt left on left. I like the Royals' defense with Vargas going. I, I like the fact that the Giants are hitting under 200 in the postseason against lefties. In limited experience, Vargas has been good against the Giants. A 3-1-5 ERA in 20 innings, so give or take three outings against, or three starts against the Giants. The majority of guys in their lineup haven't seen a lot of him. Brandon Belt's two for four off of Vargas. Blanco, three for seven. Pablo Sandoval, two for six. But then you've got Michael Morris, one for ten, who may or may not be in the lineup. I'm sure he probably won't be. Buster Posey, one for four. I mean, it's kind of just whatever. There's not really enough sample size versus Vargas. But I like the matchup for the reasons I just mentioned. And the Royals against Ryan Vogelsong, the righty, have basically not seen him. Two innings in his career against the Royals. An 18 ERA in the two innings with three Ks. But, I mean, again, no one in this lineup. Okay, Josh Willingham's one for three. He's not going to play. So the only two guys to really have seen Vogelsong, Nori 0 for three. Omar Infante, interesting, six for 11. That's about the only guy that has any sort of experience. I mean, Aoki and Willingham won't even be in the lineup tomorrow. So I guess six for 11 from Infante is about all you got against Vogelsong. But he's been struggling in ERA north of five in the postseason. Yes, he's been this year, I mean. He's been good in the past in the World Series and playoffs, but again, like I always like to say, just because I could run a seven-and-a-half-minute mile three years ago doesn't mean I can do it now. Just because I was making out with a nine that I met at the Power and Light District, a smoke show two years ago, doesn't mean I can make out with her now. So that's kind of how I look at it as far as old stats. We'll see. Throw everything out the window, get a win tomorrow. Like I said, I I feel like the Royals are going to win tomorrow. I just do. I think it may be kind of a blowout tomorrow. Six to three, which isn't really a blowout, but for this team, I mean, for this team, isn't six to three a blowout? Seven to two, something like that. Eight to three, six to one. I just think the Royals will score something in the five to eight range and win by three plus runs tomorrow. That's my prediction. And at that point, who knows on Sunday? It all comes down to Shields. But let's just take a game by game. Let's just split the next two. I mean, wouldn't you take that right now if somebody offered you a split the next two? Of course you would. That would mean two out of three in San Francisco. That would mean two chances to win one game, and it would mean a World Series championship in front of your home fans if you were able to go ahead and do that. 101, the key number. They're two wins away from 101 in a World Championship. Can't wait to talk to you again tomorrow night after Game 4 here on Clubhouse Conversation. Go Royals, and thank you for listening.